Welcome to Season 3 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who either work in fields that help develop confidence or who have had a personal story to share about their journey of breaking free and living with more confidence and purpose. I chose for my first guest for this season to be a certified strength and conditioning specialist, educator and presenter who happens to be from Hong Kong so that we can start the year with feeling confident about our body and our fitness. I speak to Andy about how his way of integrating traditional Chinese medicine, which I'm a huge fan of, into his training philosophy creates harmony between all aspects of life. He also shares with great transparency how his own anxiety instigated his research and subsequently co-writing the book, Dynamic Balance. And please remember to share, subscribe or rate the show if you enjoy this episode or the show in general. Hi, Andy. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me, Rani. I'm so excited. Happy New Year. I'm really excited that um, you're here on the first episode in the new year of season three of Breaking Free because lots of people feel that they want to start the new year with motivated, um, you know, plans and goals of how they want to change their body, be healthier. And then they always seem to fail at keeping that up after a while. I don't know if you find that with with people that you work with. Oh, totally. You know, I it's funny. For the past couple days, I've been asking my clients, oh, any New Year's resolution? Uh, I was expecting to hear some grand goals, obviously, because if you go on social media, people lay out some grand goals. And, and surprisingly, most of my clients they say, nope, I've given up because it doesn't work. And what I've found is they're usually too two types of people, right? One that sets out all these grand goals and ones that just totally don't believe in it. Or maybe they don't want to commit to it because they don't want to be held accountable. Who knows? Um, so I think, um, yeah, so uh, this is a good good opportunity to educate others because I think it is important to have a goal. Um, but then mm. what the goal is should be an important question that we all ask ourselves. Exactly. I think getting clearer about the goal, why you chose that goal and what are the steps that you can take, small steps towards it becoming part of your life, becoming, you know, something that you do consistently is is key. So I really wanted to talk to you about your book, Dynamic Balance, and, you know, how you have a genuine passion for making a positive impact in the fitness industry through learning and sharing different unique methodologies and I'd love to know more about them and the listeners as well if you could tell us a little bit about what you touch upon in the book and what inspired you to write a book on traditional Chinese medicine and fitness I'm really into Chinese medicine I mean I don't know a lot about it but I love doing everything that's to do with Chinese medicine and massage so um, I'd love to know more yeah uh, first of all I, why don't I go in to share kind of why I wrote the book Dynamic Balance. And essentially, in Dynamic Balance, we, we look at one's diet, we look at one's emotion, and one's movement or training through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine. The reason why this idea came about um, is, or 
the timing that I came about was when I was a master's student in exercise science. So a few years ago, I was in school, studied getting my master's in exercise science. And in one of the courses, we had to take a statistics course. And in that course, essentially, we learned to interpret research and data and statistics because I'm sure everyone is well aware of the fact that there is research paper on just about everything now. But a lot of those research studies are not high quality researches. So if we don't learn to interpret them, if we don't learn to actually read them, we won't understand what the research uh, is about or, or, or its legitimacy, right? Mm. And in that semester, one of the assignments was for us to look into any topic that we're interested in using the stuff that we know. And for me, the topic at the time was cubbing because, you know, just around the 2016 Olympics, Michael Phelps was seen with cubbing marks on his back and the fitness community went crazy because they were like, what are these purple dots? You know, are they harmful? Are they beneficial? You know, should this be banned? Does it actually help performance? So essentially he was using suction methods to create these circular purple dots on his back. And, and then, yeah, I wanted to know more because I'm a Chinese person. I grew up in Hong Kong, but I spent 10 years in the U.S. And, you know, I can tell you growing up in Hong Kong, no one was able to explain to me the tangible benefits of Chinese medicine. And, and so I went to the U.S. And then obviously in the U.S., it's, it's even more esoteric and even a bit more confusing because, you know, if, if people, I think most people just don't really understand methodology. And so at the time, I figured, I'll, why don't I bridge the gap and maybe I can look into what research says about the efficacy of cubbing. As I was looking into the research, I found that there are two camps, right? The first camp was kind of the Western human movement science camp. And in those researches, they focused on the effects of cupping on soft tissues. So on kind of uh, the skin and the muscle and the fascia between the skin and the muscle. So why these cupping methodology, methodologies are actually releasing tension in those soft tissues. So that's the Western camp. And then the Eastern camp was where these Chinese medicine practitioners would use Chinese uh, Chinese terminologies to explain cubbing. So they would use qi, blood, yin, yang, uh, five phases, and things like that. Yeah. But I had a light bulb moment because I was like, wait, so you, you're using an other set of language to explain a foreign term. And, and to me, that just didn't make sense, right? And, mm-hmm. and so at that time, I was like, okay, if there's anyone to write this book, it would be me because I'm a Chinese person and I spent 10 years in the U.S. So I have a pretty good understanding of the binary system that the Western education teaches us. We want to know what it is. Just tell me what it is. And, and it's either black or white. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's when I decided to write a book. So I spent three years collaborating with a Chinese medicine practitioner, uh, Stella Wong, my, my co-author, and writing this book just in hopes to bridge the gap so so that we go into, again, diet emotions and the way to train, the way to move through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine. Very interesting. But and you mentioned five phases. What are five phases? When we try to understand a, a foreign concept, what we try to do is understand a bit of culture and history behind how these terms came about. And so if we look at five phases, essentially it was a way for the Chinese to categorize the world because we have to understand a fundamental assumption within Chinese medicine is that everything in the world is connected. And, and that's why you're going to hear the word chi as well, because chi is, it stands for energy. 
and 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 the Chinese believe that every thing on earth had energy right and so yes and that's why we're finding western medicine or methodologies are failing in areas where they're just treating the symptoms and they're not treating human beings as a whole you know everything is connected you're right you're right so that's what i love about chinese medicine yeah so this is so interesting that you know they they have five phases to understand the world and our bodies is that right you're right the 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 there five phases to understand the world the body different taste different emotion and and what that boils down to is a particular taste might be connected to a particular organ which might be beneficial for a certain season and that's kind of the framework that we're working with so quite often you might go online and you find that oh you might you should eat these foods if you're feeling this because they also believe that the signals that the body give you is a signal of need mm. right so whenever we are a bit fatigued maybe we'll crave sugar and 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 you know we now know that sugar gives us energy right because of glucose but back then the chinese also knew that sugar gave us energy and and that's what i find fascinating is a lot of stuff that we know now actually was already brought forward by the chinese thousands of years yeah. ago you know the chinese they they try to categorize different system uh, they try to categorize you know, the outside world and the inner body. So what they try to do is they would associate different tastes, different emotions to different seasons. So essentially, we uh, will have a way to make sense of the world. And that's what five phases are there for. Mm. Well, could you tell us a little bit about the seasons and how they are related? Uh, any tips that would be helpful for listeners of Breaking Free to to change in their maybe diet or the way that they are looking at fitness? Yeah, I would say that Chinese medicine, we have to know at its core is a preventative medicine. And the central message is to live according to rules of nature. And because of that, believe it or not, they believe that a lot of things are intuitive, right? So without under, without, for those of us who has no understanding Chinese medicine, what we try to share is that you don't actually have to know, know, understand five phases in order to make an intuitive decision. For example, let me paint a picture. Let's say today is in the middle of the summer and you're sitting right next to a beach. At that time, let's say if you have a choice of beverage and you're either offered a coconut juice or you offered some hot chocolate. It's scorching hot outside. Rania, which drink would you choose? Yes, definitely the juice. But I do hear they say drink hot tea when it's hot and it cools your body. And I've never understood that. <laughs> Maybe you could explain. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, tea has a cooling nature. But uh, I'll go back to the first point before I explain the second. So uh, in that, I guess, somewhat obvious example, we'll go with coconut juice because in, in Chinese medicine, they will say that coconut juice or melon juice, it's more of in nature, so it cools the body down. Yeah. And then on that note, so onto the tea, this is actually a good time to explain this yin yang and what what nature, all these uh, concepts. And, and in that, we have to understand two main concepts, and that is qi and yin yang so two two concepts that i'm sure people have heard but perhaps not understand mm. well if we if we actually dive deeper into these concepts we have to understand that in chinese medicine every terminology has two meanings attached to it so a functional meaning and two a conceptual slash philosophical meaning so if we look at qi for example 
functionally, it just means energy because the human body needs energy to sustain life. Every animal on earth, if you even look at plants, every living organism on earth needs energy to sustain its life. And, and functionally, it just means um, energy. But the second point is where it throws people off because we're also talking about a concept and a philosophy because we're whenever you ask a practitioner what chi is, they cannot explain to you because it's not something that's physical. It's also a, just a, the concept that there's an energy within us that goes around that sustains life. So it is also a conceptual term. And, and, and so whenever people are describing qi, essentially they're using qi to describe circulation and your health. Yeah. And, and so that's qi. And then if we go into yin yang, uh, I think we've all seen the Tai Chi sign, right? So, and and then if we think again, if we apply both functionality and then uh, conceptually, so functionally, it just means that yin, it just means that things are kind of slow and things are calm. And yang, it just means that things are fast, aggressive and, and active. Hmm. And, but it is also a concept because we're describing things that are working the opposites. And if you have seen the Tai Chi sign before, you see that there is kind of the white part and there's the black part. But what most people don't realize is within the white, there's a hint of black. And then within the black, there's a hint of white. Yeah. And that's never because- It's purely black or white, is it? Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and things are never just purely good or evil mm. in the Chinese medicine point of view, right? If we take, if we talk about, you know, sugar, for example, the modern, the modern uh, fitness community, I, I would say a lot of people are scared of sugar just because of the insidious effect of it. But if you think about it, naturally, sugar in itself is not bad because it sustains life is that uh, the problem is just that in modern lifestyle, our lifestyle is, is just inundated with uh, sugar, sugar is everywhere. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if we apply the yin yang concept into this into sugar for example or anyone who's trying to make a new year's resolution we have to understand that what they actually call for is for us to avoid the extremes because too much of a good thing can become a bad thing too much of a bad thing mm. you know it's it's yeah so it, it it's we should not always be so absolute is is the is the message in in yin yang and then when we apply that when we circle back to kind of the tea so if we apply the yin yang to qi, you've you've got yin qi and you've got yang qi, right? Um, and and then when we also apply the yin yang to different foods, it is believed that different foods elicit a response from the bad body. So either a yang response or a yin response. So it either causes circulation to kind of rush through or to amp up circulation, or it cools you down. And tea. Most teas, it, it calms you down. And, and so even though it is hot, uh, when it calms you down, it's not talking so much from a temperature sense, but more of an energy. So essentially, you're going to become calmer when you have some tea, which is usually the case. Okay. And if you had the hot chocolate by the beach, that would be active, would it, rather than calming? Yes. And, and hot chocolate is more because it is warming the body uh, more as it has yang nature so it's better for the for christmas for cold weather like it is now in, in hong kong and in a lot of yeah. parts of the world so you're saying we don't really require the knowledge to know what 
what we need to have to slow ourselves down and what we need to have to be more active at the right times. You're saying that we can trust our own body and our own instinct for that. I think so. Uh, but the, the question is how? And Yes, how? I and, think people have right, lost how, touch right? of listening to their body because there's, you know, commercials telling them what to do, um, magazines telling them what to do, and everyone's saying the opposite of everyone else. And I think people don't trust their own instinct anymore. And that's where this comes into place, I think. Do you actually help people to start understanding their bodies? Yes, how? <laughs> Yes, I think the first step that people need to do is before moving forward with their New Year's resolution, they need to step back and take a look at the big picture. And before going on different dietary plans, maybe they should actually just tone down their diet so that they can actually taste the natural taste of food. Mm. So for example, I use myself and my, my family members and the clients that I coach. Right. So I'm a personal trainer by day. I, I only implement some Chinese philosophy into it because I believe that's just a natural way of living. So for me, it's more of a living philosophy than it is medical, just because I'm, I'm not a natural practitioner, but I'm, I'm more of a health coach. Right. And and so for me, I just tell my clients and, and those around me, well, first, you should start by putting less sauce in your food. So less seasoning, really, yeah. because you know, if you think about salt, salt, everything, everything. right? Because we, nowadays when, when people cook, they, they put so much condiment into mm. their food, right? Whenever you go for some uh, steak, you know, the amount of sauce you put in is just crazy. Yes. And, the, and so there the are first healthy, step, yeah. um, herbal things to put in, right? So it's fine to put like cumin, cardamom, yeah. uh, that sort of thing, but salt, yes, yes. pepper and artificial sauces salt pepper artificial sauces different types of oil you fried stuff mm. processed foods you know I, I i try to discourage people to minimize that just so that you can start tasting the natural taste of food yeah and and then you know you've always got someone who say well but i, but I love chips or i love uh, biscuits or i love cookies whatever and in that scenario i tell people to actually eat slowly mm. Because I'm not sure you're sure if you have heard this, but fast foods are meant to be consumed quickly because you don't actually taste the taste of the food, right? Let's say today, if you're to purchase some French fries from a fast food restaurant, you kind of just binge it all down. And then you're like, oh, I'm so satisfied. But the next time all the listeners try to do that, I would encourage them to slow down and actually try to taste the French fry. Mm. And what you'll find is the second you slow down, all you taste is just grease and just this disgusting texture because they're not <laughs> meant to for you to savor, right? Yeah. And and that's that's one way to help you. My God, I've thought that recently. I mean, after all these years, I've only just thought while eating popcorn, what is it about popcorn that we find tasty? Because if it didn't have the salt on or it wasn't sugared, it's just like eating cardboard. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and I think that's a, that's a great realization because we, we want, I want my clients to have that realization because then they'll naturally stay away from those food. Mm. And whereas I think a wrong, the wrong strategy to take is, oh, you should avoid these foods or you should just consume more of these because they're good for you. Um, but rather you should slow down, take a step back, try to enjoy the food that you're eating and try to actually taste the taste of the food and and 
And that way, I believe what you actually move into is fresher foods because yeah. the fresher the foods you, you get, the less condiments you need. And, and natural herbs are fine, uh, obviously, but you should also get fresh herbs when, if possible, if, if uh, wherever you're living, if you can have access to mm. those. And I believe that you naturally go for healthier choices just because the moment when you realize how disgusting processed foods uh, actually are I think yeah. you won't want to put those in your mouth again so that's really interesting that fast food I've never thought of it as in we eat it fast you always think about them delivering it fast you know that you order and get it straight yeah. away um but yeah, yeah we also well now we know yeah most we never actually sit down to enjoy a fast food burger do we no whereas if you have a burger in a restaurant you take quite a long time eating it what I find yes, I do. exactly. It's, it's and, yeah. yeah. It's different. They serve you a quality salad, you know, maybe those serve you some quality sides that you can actually enjoy. Mm. And and so really, so there are two things that listeners can take away from it. So first, slow down, and then two, try to taste the actual taste. And and because, you know, whenever we talk about, so in our balance, we, we categorize different tastes according to five phases, right? Yeah. And then sometimes you go into it and then you you'll be like, wait, meat is sweet? Because in 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 Chinese uh, medicine literature, they would say certain types of meat are sweet. And then people would be like, What are you talking about? You know, how can meat be sweet? But actually it's it's the fat that makes the meat sweet. And a lot of modern people cannot get that taste because where taste buds are numbed to sweetness oh. because our tolerance for sweetness has gone up so much, right? So and and so we mentioned summer. Are there particular things to look out for and and notice in the other seasons? So it, let's say if we take winter, for example, the phase that's attached to it is water. And, and so if we look at the taste that we should look for, uh, that we should have in Chinese medicine literature, they would say we should have salty food because salt helps you retain water. And theoretically, in, that means in winter, your consumption of salt should be a little bit higher than that is in the summer, just to help you retain water. But see that the problem is people can't, if we say that in a modern context, sometimes we would take it with, with a grain of salt because, because the, the, the modern day salty and historical salty are two different things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so we, in order to actually use this model, again, we first have to take a step back and tone down our, our, our sensitivity. We want to be more sensitive to different tastes first, is what I think. The way that we eat now, there's so much salt in absolutely everything. Like you're saying, if people are eating sauces, there's loads of salt in the sauces. So really, nobody needs to have more intake in in the winter because they're having too much salt all year round is that what you mean but if we were eating naturally without the sauces and things that would be the season where we could start seasoning more with salt you're right you're right hmm. and and on that note of sauces and stuff a, a hack that i always give that, that i share you know my talks is we should always have the sauces on the side Right. If you, whenever you remember, and if it's possible, because that way you can dictate how much sauce to put in your food, rather yes. than them just dumping a bunch of sauce on whatever you're eating. Yeah. And then the the emotion that's 
associated with it is fear and fright, which makes sense, right? And because in the winter time, it's we, we tend to be a bit more mellow and a bit more prone to perhaps uh, depression, but not not in not in the sickness sense, but just maybe just kind of yes. sad in the winter. It's just and darker, yeah. Just darker, and and so in this way, you know, if we just look at the things that I've shared, this is how people use five phases to connect the dots. Okay, so if they're feeling more fearful. Is it just to be aware of that and know that oh it's just the season and not and take it lightly, or is there something that you need to do in your diet, like eat more salt, in order to not feel as fearful during the winter months? Can you explain it a bit how it's connected? That's a great、uh, great segue because you know the second part of of diet balance we we talk about how the Chinese see emotions and 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 before we talk about kind of how they they are connected. I'm say you know a big problem in kind of the Western culture is that everything is isolated, right? So you tend to go to a dietitian for dietary things, and then you go to a mental health professional for mental related、uh, things, which is great because that means they're an expert in their respective areas. But the problem is there isn't someone out there connecting the dots. And yes, it would be fine if both doctors were working together, for instance. Yeah, with that person. And they were mix matching, but you see them in isolation, don't you? Completely separate. Yeah, and then and then that's where the problem lies because the mental、uh, health professional might say one thing, and then the dietary person say another. But really, you know,、yeah. they should look at it together because you're right.、Um, them two are are definitely connected. And does this? I mean, just think about. Again, it goes back to our energy, right?、Uh, after different meals, if you just observe, let's say for, for all the listeners out there, you know, for the next three days, you can just take it, take out a journal or your phones after you eat, and you write down your mood. And I guarantee you, from eating different foods, you have a slightly different response. And and so your food can do a, a lot of things to your emotions. And and then to your question of why there,、uh, when when we have an emotion, why did that's The season, or or actually the things that we go through, I think that one we have to ask ourselves. But it's a good starting point to know that it might be the season, especially、yeah. for those of us who are. Well, I I presume most people, most listeners are Western educated, but you know, for people like myself, in the winter time, we look to those motivational videos where we need to get out of bed to go to the gym to grind through things because. You know, winter time we just want to stay home and sleep and eat, and、mm. and I think the the first step is to understand that you know this this mellowness or this lowing in energy might be a result of the weather, might be a result of the climate. So、yeah. don't blame yourself too much if you are not inclined to exercise in the winter. Yes, it makes me think actually of asking you: Would it be such a bad thing if we didn't? Is it against Our nature to actually be pushing ourselves to be as active in the winter as we are in other seasons, because animals who don't have that guilt and shame about themselves, you know, I'm being lazy or I'm doing this, they hibernate in the winter and they're completely okay with that. Should we be doing that as humans? Are we doing the wrong thing by pushing ourselves? Well, I think. You know, if I said we should be pushing ourselves all the time, then I'll be contradicting myself, right? <laughs> Because I've been telling you to listen、yeah. to your bodies, and obviously, <laughs> our bodies are telling us to sleep. Why are we working out?、Um, and、mm-hmm. 
And so to answer that question, I, I first have to suggest a, a book. It's called Exercised by Daniel Laberman. And in there, he ta- he actually talks about how it's human nature to be lazy. Because if you think about our history for thousands of years before the modern world, it's like like other animals, right? We don't go out to get food. We don't, we're not active unless if we have to, right? Usually we're sitting down yeah. socializing unless if we have to hunt for food. It's only in the past, I don't know, 120, 100, 200 years that food is so accessible that we can just sit around and get food whenever we want, right? If you think about even 500 years ago, getting water required some effort. And, and so for that reason, you know, we're biologically programmed to be lazy. Yes, it makes me think to ask you actually about if it's against our nature to push ourselves in the winter months. You know, we feel we're really I feel we're really hard on ourselves that maybe we don't have the same energy and we're feeling lazy and we don't want to do the same sort of sports. But I mean animals hibernate. They don't feel guilty about it. They know that their bodies need to rest during those months. So should we be resting Andy or should we be pushing ourselves? Well, to answer that question I have to share a book that I've read um, last year by, it's called Exercise by a anthropologist called Daniel Laberman. And essentially what he's saying is throughout history, it's human nature to be lazy, right? You know, if we think about over the past four or five, six, you know, millions, thousands of years, there's never been a time where we have to voluntarily suffer. And that is the case when we go exercise. So I think the idea of you not wanting to exercise and wanting to hibernate or sleep or what have you just sit on a couch is of human nature, Rania. So no one should be guilty of that. Yeah, but because we know that we're preconditioned to be lazy, we all have learned that we must push ourselves and not listen to that voice But in the winter, should we listen to that voice? It's actually bad to push ourselves in certain times. I think so. I think sometimes if the body is telling you to rest, then we should respect its signals because under Chinese medicine is the premise that it, when when the body is feeling a certain way, then we should do something, right? When when we when the body is craving a flavor, it is telling you something. So if we just learn to listen to the body's signals, then we're gonna do a lot better than if we don't. So in the in the winter months, perhaps we also have to look at the way we exercise because you know traditionally we talk about how exercising is all about oh me going hard, have a hard workout, I push myself towards the limit. But again, if we think about the yin yang philosophy, exercising does not have to be yang all the time or it does not have to be fast and aggressive we can do some gentle stretching or we can do some foam rolling and those will also have tremendous benefits on our soft tissue on our fascia and thereby leading to better health so in the winter months whenever you're feeling fatigued or tired or sluggish instead of pushing yourself to do the hit the the terrible gruesome workout perhaps you can consider doing something more yin more slow Uh, more calm that still that way you still get some benefits from the movements Mm, I like that idea Um, and do you feel that this knowledge that you've gained through the research and writing your book has changed how you live your life that's a great question Rania and to be honest I'm just going to share a personal story here and that's the fact that growing up I've always been battling with anxiety disorder and and that is that anxiety was so bad that it was influencing 
it was impacting my daily life and, and the performance at school and at work. And obviously over the past decade or so, I've been on a quest to find out ways to help me overcome. And, and I actually didn't, didn't tell many people this, but growing up, my, my parents were very supportive, but because they're very supportive, I would be going to different treatments, going to different clinics, you know, trying out Chinese medicine, Western medicine, different types of doctor and stuff, but it still doesn't, or still, we didn't see the desired effects. And that is my anxiety would always be there. But over the past five, six years, the more I studied the philosophy of Chinese medicine, the more I realized that underneath the ancient wisdom is the premise that everything is interconnected and inseparably linked. Meaning when I look at my diet, when I look at my emotions, and when I look at the way I move, they're all closely linked, right? So if you think about before, when I was suffering with my anxiety issues, because my mood would be kind of down and negative and anxious all the time, my diet, it doesn't matter how good of a diet I would eat, I'll still get an upset stomach because we all know when we're stressed, we just don't digest digest well. And also when we think about my movements, because I was so stressed and anxious all the time, I would be stiff uh, because my body is in a fight or flight state. And so altogether, I was just caught in this never ending loop that just makes me more anxious and anxious and anxious. So it doesn't matter how much I pay attention to individual elements, it didn't really help. But, you know, over the past few years now, when I'm, when I pay more attention to the signals of the body, what I actually need, when I accept the fact that I, I, I can be anxious sometimes, and that may impact different areas of life, I can cope with it better because now I have a lifestyle strategy that helps me cope with my personal struggles and, and that I understand how different things are just intricately linked. So, you know, long story short, definitely what I know now has impacted my life. And that is knowing how my diet and my emotions and the way I move could just have such a profound impact on each other. And so when I, when I can look at all three of them as a whole, then that's going to, that's only going to set me up for success. Yeah. I love that. I love when someone's own personal struggle is what leads them to find an answer that's right for them. And then it turns out that that answer is right for many people. And then they don't only heal themselves, they heal others through that knowledge that they've gained and, and that they spread, of course, with you training others and writing this book. And that's that's wonderful to hear. And it's a good um, it's a good sort of way to prove it, that the person whose life has changed is the person that's, you know, training you or saying this. That's what usually gives me trust in trying something is that the person, you know, has been through it. It worked for them. And now they're living a better life because of it. Sure, certainly. I think the, the argument is way more convincing when the person telling you has overcome some challenges. But I would say that the center point of my my message, if you if you will, is that if you just learn to follow the body signal and accept the fact that things happen. And if we kind of just circle back to the yin yang, yang philosophy, you know, a lot of times when we bring up anxiety disorder people kind of see anxiety as a negative emotion. Of course, it could be uh, it could be negative, right? When, you think, when, we, when we think about anxiety, it could paralyze you, right? Sometimes when we are so anxious, we're like, oh, we don't know what to do. But sometimes anxiety 
is needed because it drives us forward to help us finish a project. It might help you start this podcast or edit the videos, things like that. The, the right amount of anxiety might drive us forward, the right amount of stress. And, and so just understanding the Yang philosophy on different aspects of life would, would also help us accept the fact that not all emotions are inherently bad. It's just mm. the amount of it. But how did you get your sort of light bulb aha moment doing the research that, ah, oh, that's what I need to start doing? Where did you start? Was it with relaxing more, sleeping better? Um, because as you said, all of it affected each other. So you were in this loop. So which one did you focus on and start on that helped the others starting to be a possibility? I would say what I started with was movement because I'm a fitness instructor by the day. And so most of my studies would be around this area. And these days, if you go to a fitness course, let's say if you go to a course about stretching or about foam rolling or about self-massage, usually they would touch on the mental aspect. And, and that's kind of what triggered the, oh, okay. So what you're saying is whenever we're going for a massage, physically we are relaxing the muscles but 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 mentally the muscles are relaxing because the brain is sending its signals and, and i think that's kind of what that was a catalyst behind me wanting to know more because you know if you think about it the analogy is oh, for all the listeners out there let's say if you go to the spa for a treatment or for for a total body massage you know you go into this dark room there's this macha there's there's this bed and then you, you kind of smell the scent and you hear the calming music in the background, you know, immediately you're like, Oh, I'm ready to sleep already. You know, I'm relaxed yes, before you get the right. Signals. Yeah. I'm relaxed before the massage started. And, and so, you know, a lot of times it is a mental aspect. So from that point onwards, I was like, Oh, okay. So obviously our physical body and our mental health is closely linked. And then that's what kind of started the entire thing. Yeah. So I think it helps for you to set the scene that will help your mind relax or your body relax or start the stretching um, or to eat well. But if we're trying to eat well while we're watching uh, an action movie or we're scrolling through Instagram, then um, we probably are going to stay feeling anxious. But if we set the scene for it to be all very calm and nice atmosphere, like with the massage, then probably we'll digest better. So it's just about being aware, I suppose, to, you know, make make those things that usually don't work for you to start working for you because your brain then receives the signal, ah, it's it's okay, I'm safe here. You're absolutely right. And and to the topic of lifestyle strategy, you know, before we eat, before we sleep, we want to prime the body in a certain way, meaning that these days, before we eat, again, those of us who are high achievers, we can never accept boredom. So for those of us who can just not tolerate boredom, then perhaps the the very thought of us just sitting there enjoying whatever is in front of us might be quite frightening. And and so mm. to all, if if I'm speaking to you right now, please just sometimes before you eat, you can just take a deep breath, calm down. And accept the fact that it is okay to slow down and it is okay to try to enjoy the food in front of you because, I mean, food is delicious, let's face it, hopefully, hopefully. And, mm. and so 
we live in a society now that is hindering us from enjoying the true taste of the delicious food in front of us because our brains think that we have to be constantly stimulated in order to feel like we're alert. And and so yes. I yes. think many of us will have to reverse that mindset by just taking deep breaths, but to gain a true understanding of the fact that we don't have to be entertained yeah. or, for so long throughout the day. Yes. And it's not some of us that may not like boredom. We've all become a society that cannot bear boredom because it's, it's it, you know, it's been devised that way. You know, so many scientists, um, technicians are working on keeping us completely busy and online. So, of course, we're benefiting them by being that. And we think it's our personality now that can't bear to be bored. So, you know, what's the worst that we'll experience or find out if we don't grab our phone or do a multitasking sort of thing while we eat? Nothing really, but we might discover that, ah, one, I don't feel cramps or I don't feel weird after I've eaten. And two, maybe because your mind is just wandering and you're not doing something that's stimulating you, you might get an idea, you might think of the next thing that you want to do or a holiday that's suddenly come up in your mind that you quite, you know, you need those moments of boredom for you to have thoughts. And if we're like piling all this other outside stuff in our brain the whole time, we don't get a chance to even have our own thoughts. So that's a great idea. Absolutely. And just know that great ideas often come when you're just kind of idle, when you're daydreaming, when you're taking a shower, when you're just sitting there doing nothing. You never get a great exactly. idea from scrolling on other people's stories, I guarantee you, because you just copy. Exactly. Yes. That's always what happens is the great ideas come in the shower or driving. Why is that? Because the mind is wandering and it isn't stimulated by something. That's exactly why. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Thank you for sharing your personal story as well. Um, that was really powerful. And I hope people get a chance to read the book and understand about the other seasons and how they're linked to emotions. Um, it's really valuable what you've shared today. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.